0: we're back welcome to season six of the iron woman podcast i'm rosalie and i want to tell you i love to bike ride it's my favorite daytime activity and my nighttime favorite activity is playing piano and i'm in the middle of all of that i like to watch tv and play video games in Support us by supporting our sponsors, Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Fest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chira!
1: Hey Haley, how are you this week? Alyssa, I'm doing really good and surprise it's race week for me. I'm pretty excited. Yay. This is so fun because I
2: feel like I'm, I've been having racing withdrawal of my own. So I'm excited to live vicariously through you this week. So tell me all about it.
1: Yes. I'm headed to Ironman 70.3 Waco in Waco, Texas. It's a newer race. Well, I think It's kind of new. I guess it's like they canceled Ironman Austin, 70.3 Austin. And then now they have the new race in Waco. And the first thing I thought of when I heard Waco was actually going to the Magnolia Silos. Of course. Of course. Right? Is there anyone fans of the picture of the show? Right. And then um, my sister lives in Austin. And so she was actually thinking she'd come up to the race and we'd go to like the silos afterwards and just have so much fun. And then she looked it up. And the silos are closed on Sundays.
3: Yeah. So FYI
1: to anyone who had that idea, everything Magnolia is closed on Sundays. So you're going to have to go before the race or I guess stay longer in Waco.
2: Oh, that is disappointing. I feel like they're pretty responsive on social media. Maybe we can start some sort of campaign that for the sake of the triathletes to open or something, do some sort of special triathlon situation. Because now that Chip is a marathon finisher, I feel like maybe he'll have a like soft spot in his heart and be willing to or maybe just an exclusive tour or something for Haley Chura, the one and only, the <laughs> yes. the, the, the Haley
1: Chura Iron Woman podcast extraordinaire. I could, uh, I'll broadcast live from the solos on my, on my special tour with Chip and Dorianna. I don't think that's going to happen, but maybe if I have time before I might do a drive by I'm I've heard that it's a pretty busy place and I think the waits can be kind of long. So it will be kind of one of those things. I am there still for a race and that is my job and that is my focus. So it'd be one of those things where if the parking spots there and I could run in really quick, I might, might do it. Because it it sounds fun and I do love the show and, you know, maybe I'd get some cool fall decorating ideas because I'm a fan of that as well. I've already bought so many pumpkins. Do you buy pumpkins? No, I thought about it and then I was
2: like, I went down the spiral in my head because I was like, okay, if I buy a pumpkin, I'm going to have to buy a carving knife and then I'm going to have to worry about carving it safely and not like chopping my hand open. And then I was like, I should just avoid all pumpkin oriented things. But I do love pumpkin seeds, so... I just don't love the pumpkin carving aspect of it. So, But I buy pumpkin flavor things. I love all of that situations, like the candles, the spices, the flavors, the ice cream sandwiches. I think I maybe talked about this a few weeks ago that I was getting pumpkin ice cream sandwiches. So I love pumpkin flavored things, but the actual pumpkins are a bit of a nemesis for me.
1: Oh, I love pumpkins. I just love how they look. And then I am having a pumpkin carving party on October 31st this year. So if you come to Bozeman, you can carve pumpkins at my house. And I have all the safety knives. So I don't trust myself with a knife either. So I have some safety knives and you can, uh, we'll keep you covered and safe and all your fingers intact. You, but know you can
2: still have fun. I do love about pumpkin carving though. I, I love to be the person that like puts their hands in and scoops out all the guts and gets the seeds out. I think that's one of my favorite.
1: We could do an assembly line. That's not a bad idea
2: yeah no I'd be all over that I love that like feeling of gunk because it's not like anything actually grows it's just the inside of a pumpkin you know and so it just feels so cool like I love that I would definitely do that it would be amazing
1: well come on over Halloween Halloween at Haley's I don't get any trick-or-treaters because I just where I live and I think kids these days Bozeman throws this big like downtown trick-or-treating party for all the kids and it's really cute and they go to all these stores downtown and they get tons of candy so I don't think a lot of kids like Go in the neighborhoods. Or at least they don't come to mine. Maybe mine looks like unfriendly. Although I do have a pumpkin outside, so it looks a little friendlier. But I've never actually had a trick or treater, so instead I just threw a party. Well, I'll <laughs> keep it in mind right after the race. That's how I'm celebrating my wonderful race in Waco. I am celebrating it with a Halloween party.
2: Oh, that's actually really fun. But maybe we'll just have to have this to happen again next year, and I'll keep that in mind because this Halloween I probably am going to be like the Grinch of Halloween and not even have my little doorstop light on because. I am doing my adventure race after that. So I'm going to have to be, I'm already a little bit stressed trying to get everything ready for this because you think gear for triathlon is a lot. This is at least as much gear for the adventure race and I've never done it before. So it's not second nature to me to be getting it all ready, like the sleeping and the tent and the clothes, and it's going to be freezing in Pennsylvania in November. And so I'm trying to make sure I have enough things to make me like even survive the night. Right. So I, I think I have my hands full this Halloween.
1: You've mentioned this before. So it's multi-days. Is this one where you have to
2: like kayak and stuff? No. So it's actually called gaining, And so this one is rogaining. purely <laughs> gaining, which has nothing to do with hair loss or regrowth. I much to <laughs> I my,
0: It's I was a like... very
2: weird word. Like I wish they would... I think if they changed the word, they would have a much more popular sport, but we'll get into that in another podcast episode, I think. But so this is purely gaining, which means it's only on foot and so you're finding the points via a compass and map and then you're checking in at each of the checkpoints and so this is two days and so it again I I probably don't have a lot of answers to the questions that you're you would love to ask right yet but afterwards I will like I don't understand I don't know the scoring system and the the website says things like day one is 12 to 25 miles and day two is like 12 to 16 miles or something like that and so I don't know if like 25 miles means you're really good at it and you've been getting extra points along the way. Or if that means like you're really bad at it and you've been taking the really long routes places. So there's a lot of gray areas that I still have to figure out with this thing. But I did my last day of orienteering as prep for it this past weekend, Haley. And I think I'm, I've got a handle on my thumb compass. My navigational skills are really they've come along. So I feel confident in that respect. I am nervous about doing it in the dark. Um, It also falls over daylight savings weekend. And so we're going, we're there. They, I guess, haven't even figured out exactly how that's going to work for the race, but it sounds like an extra hour. Yeah. But it sounds like they might actually just start us earlier as one of the options. They like haven't told us exactly what they're doing yet. So, but we definitely, it sounds like start in the dark regardless of the extra hour. And so I'm hoping we finish day one before it gets dark, but day two starting in the pitch black, like I'm not going to know where I am. So
1: astronomy, you're going to have to incorporate astronomy with your orienteering. So you look at the stars, I'll you just can find follow like, the my big North dipper, star, yeah. the big dipper and Orion. Uh, I love doing that. I mean, I don't use it for navigation, but I like looking at stars. So I think, I think you're going to do well. I'm excited for you to put your orienteering, all that orienteering practice to good work. So we'll be looking forward to hearing about that in the coming weeks. The other thing I've been doing Haley this week is buying
2: Mega Millions tickets. So, I don't know if you know this about me, but I have this, well, first of all, do you buy lottery tickets? Like so for our listeners this week, the podcast will come out after we know that I'm a billionaire basically because the pot for the mega millions in the U.S. I think it's just the U S right is $1.6 billion. And so last Friday there was a drawing for, I think it was at a billion or just under a billion. So it was huge. And so when it starts getting huge and it's on the news, I get so wrapped up in the hype and I start buying tickets. Do you do this too, Haley?
1: So I have to say I'm a fairly risk adverse person and I don't buy a lot of lottery tickets. I did once, This is how you buy tickets in an accounting firm. We had once, my coworker and I, we each pitched in 50 cents. So we could buy one ticket, um, instead of like pitching in $20 and buying a whole bunch of tickets, we bought interest in one ticket. That is, that is the accountant way of buying a lottery ticket. Occasionally I do. And I do fantasize about what I will spend the money on when I win. So this one, 1.6 billion. Yeah. I'm probably going to go down to the gas station take a couple bucks with me and buy some tickets. So
2: my lucky number is four. So I always buy four tickets. So I spend $8 on it for a little bit more than 50 cents. But at, l- at least my number, lucky number isn't something like 250, right? And I feel pretty good about this batch that I got actually today for tomorrow's drawing because it has like some of my other lucky numbers on the drawings and stuff. Like I feel very good about this. And Haley, I have this problem where I... Start to believe that I'm actually going to win. Like I believe it so hard in the depths of my soul that I'm going to start winning, and I really start thinking about it and getting so excited and like planning for all the things I'm going to do and buy and like all the like Ramonas I'm going to rescue, and I'm just going to have this like farm with all these dogs, and I'm going to have like two cars and then maybe like a jet so that I can take my dogs <laughs> with me when I need to travel for races. Two cars and a jet. <laughs> This sounds great. I know. And it's just going to be so, so much fun. And you can come, you can come anytime you want and I'll be, I'll
1: have 1.6 billion. So I'll fly you out. (laughs) So what I'm going to buy my plan, I really want to build my own pool and it will be 78 degrees. So it's going to be kind of cold and it's going to be 50 meters and it will be open for whenever I want to swim. And I think I'm going to probably build a track next door since it is 1.6 billion. I think I could afford that as well. So an indoor pool, maybe an indoor pool, an outdoor pool, and a track. It's going to be this great complex right here in Bozeman, Montana. So the Haley retro- Chura Rec center. center.
2: This has like a oh, really good totally ring to it. It will totally be
1: called the Haley Chura Rec Center. Yeah, I'm definitely naming it after myself. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to honor anyone other than myself. It will be the Haley Chura Rec Center, and um, it's going to be spectacular.
2: I can't wait until. Hopefully, we both get a ticket with the same numbers, and then we both
1: win, and we can split it, and it'll be really I think, fun. I think 1.6 billion will cover both of our our fantasies there I hope so <laughs> yeah and then you can use your jet
2: and all your dogs so you can fly over I'll and fly then- in for my <laughs> swims like once a week or something like that <laughs>
1: Perfect. I like this plan. That sounds good. Well, yeah, hopefully you still need to come back and do the podcast though. Even if you're a billionaire, you better. I mean, that is the case. You gotta make sure like life stays similar, right? You can't go too crazy all at once. It so is, don't it's gonna be a tough knowing. balance
2: to like keep my center and not get too carried away, but 1.6 billion, Haley. I really believe it. So hopefully everyone on Thursday, if I if I do win, I'll actually all this is what I'll do. I'll record. A follow-up and Aaron, you can insert it right here. This is where you just insert it. And we'll like all celebrate here, the follow-up. And then you guys can all celebrate too. You'll know in case like I haven't announced, maybe, maybe that'll be it. My first announcement. Cause you don't they keep it secret when they win? Like you, a lot of people sometimes go like, it depends on the state.
1: It depends on the state. Some States make you uh, say who you are and some States you can stay anonymous and like go through like a trust, I believe. And, but you definitely want to hire a lawyer first thing. Okay. My sister's a lawyer, so good thing. First, before you go on the podcast saying that you did it, like, let's contact me first. And yeah, let's talk about lawyers and that kind of thing. Cause we don't want people like randomly knocking on your door, like trying to get Ramona's attention and like, you know asking you for all the money because i think that could get really stressful so right. i just want to minimize your stress thanks haley um but where you can save money for sure you know need to buy a lottery ticket is with our sponsor f2c nutrition they are running a pretty good special here in no in october they are and i've been so excited about this one haley because it is their october
2: special on endurance 5 to 1 which if you have listened through the summer and heard about my FKT on the Vermont Long Trail, you know that I drank probably more than I weigh. I think, I don't know. I don't know enough about weight of liquids and stuff like that to know if I drank more than my weight of F2C, but I feel like I definitely did because I loved the Endurance 5 to 1 product and that got me through the 273 miles in a record pace. And so I'm, I'm literally just living off of it basically all the time now for my training and my racing and I'm not sick of it, which I think says something in itself and I love it. So if you are interested in trying that they are having that October sale. And if you want other things too, you can get 15% off with the iron women code at f 2 cnutritioncom
1: And we do have an interview this week, Alyssa.
2: Oh, wait. We Wait, we have one more update for our listeners. So we have the prizes from Kona. So listeners, you'll just have to wait to hear the suspense of the interview. But um, so we got back from Kona and Sarah and Ashley did some really great contests while you were out there. So there were, I think, Haley, what? There were three potential prizes you could win and five potential winners. So three people could win the feisty t-shirt and a hundred dollar gift certificate gift certificate to f2c nutrition one person could win the smash cycling kit the heart kit from smash fest queen and one person could win the bolt element bike computer which is worth 250 dollars from wahoo so that's really exciting stuff
1: Yes, and I I can't believe I missed all these prizes, and I uh, I can't believe I for- almost forgot to mention this. But this week on Instagram, I think on the Iron Women Instagram page, you can check and see if you were one of the lucky winners. So if you did enter the Kona Prize, check Instagram this week and find out if you are one of those five lucky winners. So maybe you can win the lottery and. Smash Fest Queen Kit. How great would your week be? Oh my god,
2: best week ever. That would I mean, what else to life really would there be? Not a lot, Haley.
1: Not a lot. So But back to my, uh, before I accidentally almost skipped over those, we do have an interview this week. We are talking to Sue Hughes, who is a fellow Montanan. Well, currently she lives in Montana. She lives in Missoula, just up the road from me. She is an Ironman 70.3 champion. She won Cozumel in 2016 and just two weeks ago, she won Ironman Taiwan. in um, her very first Ironman win, she will be headed to Kona next year. And she's going to tell us a little bit about that win, about starting racing triathlon professionally in her 40s and, you know, prepping for Kona as, you know, her first time Kona rookie at age 45. We'll hear more from Sue right after the break. Crave Jerky is back as a sponsor of the Iron Women podcast. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Crave meat snacks are made with tender, gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. My favorite flavors include sweet chipotle beef, black cherry barbecue pork, and chili lime beef. You can try one of Crave's bold, tender flavors when you
2: use the code IRONWOMEN to get 20% off at cravejerky.com. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete, from a sprint to
1: Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. Hello, thank you for asking me to speak. It's really cool. Excited. Yes. Well, we are really excited for you. And to kick this off, we do want to say congratulations on your win at Ironman Taiwan just a few weeks ago. And kind of as we build into our questions about Taiwan, I just want to ask about your career as a pro because 2014, not that long ago, it was your first full year racing pro. And it was also the year that you turned 40 years old. You won your first 70.3 in Cozumel at age 42 and your first Ironman just a few weeks ago in Taiwan at age 44. So next year you'll race Kona for the first time at age 45 or thereabouts. I don't know the exact day of your birthday. I didn't (laughs) look that up. But when you look back at your athletic career, did you imagine you'd still be doing so many firsts into your forties?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely not. No, it was never even, you know, a thought I ran professionally pro uh, post collegiately as a runner. Uh, and that's why I moved to Montana to be with like a professional women's track team. And it was kind of like, Oh, I'll just do this for a couple of years. And then I'll move back to Canada and, you know, you know, just kind of start my career and, and move on. But yeah, so I ran in Missoula pro for a while and, um, once I got married, I ended up staying in Montana. Cause then you meet your husband, da da, da, da da I, once we decided to, it was like, okay, when we're ready to have kids, I'll be done, you know, racing seriously. So I thought I was ready and we had kids. And when my younger son was two, it was like, you started getting that itch to kind of do a little more than just the casual swim or run or whatnot. So I started just trying to do more things than just running. Cause my body didn't like all the impact of running and I don't know. I found myself in a couple of triathlons and then just kind of got a coach and was going to just do it for a little bit. And just here I am, (laughs) I think, what, 10, eight years later or something. Yeah. Eight years later from, so yes. And so,
2: so I'm not sure how much you were able to follow, the race in Kona this year because Taiwan overlapped with that timing a little bit, but we saw six women over the age of 40 competing in the pro ranks in Kona this year. Didi Griesbauer was also 44 when she won Ironman Taiwan in 2015. So do um, you think that having like the later start in sport and competing in your forties, it is actually a competitive advantage in some ways?
3: Um, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough question because I feel like because I didn't start racing as like triathlon until I was 36, 30, probably 38 when I actually started doing it. I felt like my body is holding up longer as an older athlete. If I was started doing triathlon seriously at 18, 20, I think that would be really hard to continue doing it until 45. But because you know I just ran and then I had some pretty good breaks in between. And now I feel like yeah, I think there's some advantages for sure um, having more things going on. Like I don't have time to think about other, like I have a crappy workout. I come home and the kids are getting home from school and I have to, you know, get them snacks and do homework And this. I don't have time to think about all the other stuff. Like I don't have to dwell over a heart, a bad workout. I kind of just move on and, you know, keep things in perspective that there's other things going on. But I feel like as an older athlete, I need to rest maybe more than a younger athlete, but, I feel like, you know, you're cardiovascular and maybe mentally in some ways more experienced older. I don't, yeah, I think it's every person is different, but I do feel like some older athletes just do do better. Yeah. I don't so, know. Yeah.
1: So looking <laughs> at your race schedule in the last couple of years, we've seen you kind of evolve from racing mostly in North America to trying out some of those races in Asia and Australia. I think Last year, I saw you in Luzhou, China, and then, of course, you just won Ironman Taiwan. So this tactic certainly seems to have worked for you. Why do you, you know, choose to do these Asian and Australian races?
3: Well, last year was the first year I decided to try a full Ironman. Prior to that, I didn't really kind of have an interest in it, and so the idea was like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, maybe make Kona one day, and so getting some of these other races in, you know, Asian stuff was maybe a, a way to be able to get points. That would be hard for some of like, like, a, you know, an Ironman in Texas, where there's so many pros that it actually, you know, was able to give me maybe some points that it couldn't get, which, you know, in some ways, you know, Australia was a total bust. So that didn't help. But, you know, sometimes it seemed to, it seemed to work with Luzo, like getting some points here and there. So, and part of being able to, maybe as an older athlete is, is like, it's our chance for my husband and I to get away and do a trip and be able to experience part of the world that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So it's like an excuse to travel in a way too.
2: We've actually had a lot of chatter on the podcast recently about Taiwan because I love to race there. Uh, we just recently interviewed Kelly Philno and she was racing there with you as well what was your experience in Taiwan like? And do you kind of have an approach to how you go into a race that's in a completely different country with a completely different culture and how you can assimilate into that and still have a successful race but also kind of, you know, see the traditions and learn about the culture and be respectful of that?
3: Um, So I want to make sure I answer your question, but um, Asia – Uh, Taiwan was really great I loved the culture it seemed like a really laid-back community much more uh, laid-back and I don't know friendly is the word but than China it was just like not as busy and not as chaotic much more relaxed and so I like that whenever I've done an overseas race like that I try and keep pretty much to my normal eating before the race you know you stay at a you know more of an Americanized hotel that has options for food. So trying to eat the same foods and eat normal. And then once the race is done, trying to kind of jump in and, you know, check, you know, try out the different foods and cultures and learn a little bit more about that stuff. So it's really, it was really cool. And I liked the the way the race was set up. It had a lot of loops on the run. So you were kind of like, you know, you were, you had people around you the whole time, which is really nice when you have to run a marathon.
1: And what about the actual race itself? Like
3: Kelly told us a little bit about these
1: four foot waves on the swim and, um, you know, they did shorten the swim and, and
3: when did you, you know, when did you know you had the win? Oh gosh. You know, when I got, when I finished the bike, I actually thought I was in second. I, so I knew there was a girl like 30 seconds ahead, but I didn't realize that Sonia was, way ahead. So when I started the run and I was able to jump into what I thought was first pretty quickly, but was actually second. So then all of a sudden I'm looping around during that first loop and then there's Sonia and I'm like, Oh, okay. So, and she seemed at that point pretty far ahead of me, you know, the way the loops go, it's hard to tell exactly, but I was kind of like, oh, crap, like I got some work to do. And then you're like, Oh, am I going to be able to do this? Cause I'm really tired. But then, you know, just again, it's like the marathon. He's just like, just keep at it, keep at it. And then, um, you know, my husband was on his little scooter. So he was able to see that she was walking at one point. And so when I went by on a different point in the loop, he kind of yelled to me like, you know, you're catching her and, you know, just kind of having the loops again. So then when I caught her, I was able to like, okay, I'm in first, but again, I still had 30 K to go and. I'd never been in that position before. So I'm just like, okay, try and keep pace without overdoing myself.
2: And so never having been in the position of winning an Ironman, you know, what was that like for the first time for you? Like, did you even let yourself believe it, right, until you crossed the finish line? Or does it still feel surreal? Or how did you
3: what – what was that like for you? Uh, yeah, I did not let myself – celebrate in my mind until probably with like maybe 1k to go kind of thinking okay I think I've got this because again it's loops and you were able to see where everybody was and I could tell I was getting the gap in yeah it is an interesting feeling and I think going into this race there was a lot of emotions just personally so yeah it was it was a celebration but it wasn't yeah it was good <laughs>
1: And Sue, in your social media posts about your win in Taiwan, you referenced drawing strength from your brother, Patrick, who tragically passed away just a week before the race following a 15 year battle with mental illness. Do you feel your performance in
3: Taiwan honored Patrick? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, going into the race, you know, you're trying to think of like, am I doing the right thing? But he really did. It was, I, I didn't feel like I was alone out there. I was kind of talking to him the whole time. Like, especially on those big gusts of wind when you're on the bike and you're just like, this is insane. It was kind of like, okay, Patrick, we can do this. Like we're, you know, we're strong. We can do this. And, um, and in moments where I was feeling good, I would, you know, I'd be like, hey, you'd love this temple. And we went by a lot of temples. And, and so it was really, it was, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'd like to think I could have done it without him. But at the same time, I felt like you're doing it for more than just yourself. So it was. And definitely cool. we want to thank you
2: for sharing his memory and we can feel the emotion that you have with that. And you also have talked before about exercise and training and how triathlons have been good for your own mental health. And can you talk a little bit about more of the link that you see between your physical health and mental health?
3: Yeah. And I think that was kind of a big decision on me actually going to race was just because like running has always been kind of my outlet, like, okay. You know, even with kids, I'm like, oh my gosh, these kids are driving me bonkers. I'm going to go for a run and I can deal with them better when I've had some, you know, that time by myself and I've had time to like, just let off some steam. And so I do feel like, Exercise is a big part of that, and I know that that's one thing. My brother, like times when he was actually running more and things like that, that he felt better. And so I do feel like there's those endorphins that you know that you get released when you're running. I also think it's like growing up as a runner or maybe a bike or anything swimmer, you have that community of people. So you're running, you're talking, you're laughing, you're crying together. You're just able to like, you know just express yourself and you have that kind of bond with people. So I think it's a personal thing and it's also a group thing. And I do, yeah, I do believe that it's, it's a big part. It's a healthy part. I think it's a healthy way to deal with things as opposed to some other options. I definitely
1: appreciate my, my community and, you know, exercise has been a part of my life for a long time. So I definitely echo your sentiments there. I do want to ask just about traveling on a trip, like, you know, traveling to Taiwan and because you are coming from Montana, which is also where I am, it's a long trip and you, um, you do have, you know, you have kids, you can't necessarily be along away for a really long time. So do you have advice for our listeners about, you know, traveling abroad for a quick trip, you know, where you're not staying for weeks after and, you know, and seeing the sites, like what, you know, do you, when you get in, get out, how do you manage jet lag? How do you keep everything efficient?
3: Well, I think just having the support of family and friends, if you do have kids to kind of help with things and, you know, and not just putting all the burden necessarily, not that it's a burden the kids, but you know, I don't, I, if I'm gone a week, if we're gone a week. I don't want, I don't have all the kids just go to my in-laws the whole time. Cause thankfully my husband's parents are here so they'll help with the kids but then we've got a great you know sitter that helps with the kids and then you know and they'll stay over at our friends here and there and you know my kids are getting a little older now so it's easier but it's also I feel like if if it's not super far my husband will show up the day before the race so that makes it a little bit easier to coordinate the kids and stuff as opposed to him leaving earlier when I leave. And then when I get back, I, you know, my coach is pretty good about making me rest. So it's nice. We get back and we can do a lot of family stuff and kind of like regroup and kind of connect again. So then, then we get back to the routine of it all. So, yeah, I think, you know, just making sure you have time together before and after, I think helps with family chaos.
2: <laughs> I've seen in your social media too, that your kids call it like mom's out triathloning, you know? And so when do you think, cause you've now had a career of, you know, going on five years and then, and they've, they saw their mom as probably a runner before that, maybe, you know, I don't know (laughs) what it starts to register with kids, but when do you think it like set in for them? And do you think that they, they're like, this is, this is pretty cool that what my mom does, you know, it's, this is different. And this is, this is something that we like.
3: Uh, probably in the last two or three years, I think it's kind of been more of like, you know, them realizing, you know, they're nine and 11. So, you know, kind of realizing what I do and, you know, it's like, I'm different than other moms and, you know, I don't go to work, you know, every day and sit in an office. And so embracing that and that, you know, sometimes there's like, well, mom, why didn't you win? And you don't understand, they don't always understand like, well, you know, still pretty good, but they, you know, they definitely, you know. Brag me up at school and things like that, and I know. And my husband laughs because he's like, "Well, you, you know, my, our kids think that girls are more, you know, into sports and athletic than than boys." But you know, for us, it's just being active. Like we just want them to be active and to see me being active, and then my husband's also active, just to a much lesser extent. You know, it's just I think it's just such a good habit. Just just good things that they see that that's what's part of our life that we you know we go for bike rides and we do things and they've done a couple triathlons, but you know, I don't know if it's everything, anything they'll ever truly take on.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it that these two little boys are growing up thinking like sports is just what mom does. I mean, I think that's a really cool message, but so growing up in Canada and now you live in Montana and I live in, like I mentioned, I live in Montana too. It is quite cold here for a lot of the year, but you seem to still thrive racing in hot conditions like Cozumel and Taiwan. So do you have any heat training tips or are you just naturally good at racing in hot
3: conditions? I I really want to know all your secrets here. I I, I honestly, I don't know. Like, I just, I have a hard time being cold, but it's not like I don't go outside in the winter here. I just, when it comes to exercising, I like being warm. I don't, maybe it's because I'm stuck at the Y here and it's 86 degrees in the water all the time. And that's what I'm used to. Um, But uh, also Winnipeg, as much as it's super, super cold in the winter in Canada, Winnipeg's really, really hot and humid in the summer. And there's, like, it doesn't cool off at night. So I'm thinking maybe that. I'm also thinking, like, I don't know. I feel like I've frostbit my fingers and toes as kids. So then, you know, I just, once I get cold, I'm just chilled. And um, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I've had the opportunity to do some heat training in the chamber at the university here prior to Cozumel in this race, which helps just to do, run in, like, really, really hot temperatures. But... Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I just I am much more comfortable racing in hot than in cold. I don't know.
2: And Sue, you moved to Missoula to be a part, as you you mentioned, of the Mountain West Track Club. I think about seventeen years ago. And so when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, two thousand and one, the concept of a female elite training team with the opportunity for a stipend, housing, all of that stuff was probably a pretty rare thing. I mean, it's still pretty rare, I think, so especially in 2001. So, what was it like to be a part of this group and, you know, do you still run with them? Is it still active? Tell us
3: more about how that that went. So, Mountain West Track Club started as a men and women's team, um, and it provided stipends and it had kind of living like originally they had a, li- a house where all the athletes lived. And our coach was, he just wanted to give opportunity to people that, you know, that needed it. And I think, you know, they financially, they were able to support all these athletes. And then there came a time when they, he felt like there was a lot more opportunities for men than women when it came to running. And that's why he changed the club to just women, because, you know, it seemed like men had a lot of other training clubs and things that they could be part of. But yeah, it was, it was a crazy concept and I feel super honored to have been part of that, to you know, not have to try and find sponsors and this and that. And it was like, he was doing it because he loved, uh, like loved running, loved coaching. And these, so there was like, we'd lived in a like a, a sexplex where some of us had, you know, a single bedroom that like some of us were married and then some of us shared were roommates with others. So there was like six, eight of us living in like kind of a, like, you know, side by side sort of thing. And, yeah. I think a lot of us were Canadian and I think the concept of moving to Montana was easier than you have somebody from Arizona moving to Montana. It wasn't really like that exciting for them to move summer cold. Uh, yeah. And most of us are still here. You know, we have a couple of Olympians that, you know, trained with us, um, a lot of Commonwealth games, athletes like Courtney Babcock, Dee Cummings, both of them Olympians for Canada, and a lot of us are still here. One of us is at one of the head coaches at um, North Carolina now, but yeah, it's, and so yeah, we still meet once a week and do some runs and, um, but you know, life is different now.
1: <laughs> that is so cool. It's like the original Bowerman babes, you know, I just, they, we didn't have the social media and all the like Talbot Cox making videos <laughs> to yeah, exactly. like showcase all of you. That is really
3: cool. And what events did you run? More cross country. I'd gone to World Cross a couple times and more like a 10K, 5K sort of yeah. The okay. Longer distances. And you started in, you know, ITU like A group, ITU
1: racing. How did you make that, you know, decision to go more for 70.3, you know, and when you started as a professional? Since your background, I guess, was on in shorter distances, like jumping to a half marathon's a pretty big jump.
3: Yeah. But um, so I qualified as, an, as okay, the, Olympic, the Olympic distance ITU. And so I said, okay, yeah, I might as well take my license and see what happens. You know, do it for a year or so. So I raced, I think it was a 5140 in Boulder. And it was Olympic distance. And, you know, the swim is just not my strength. And it was a non-wetsuit swim. And I was just so far back of the coming out of the water, the Olympic distance. And you just don't have that time to make up. So I think I made up some distance on the bike and the run, but it was after that, I, that was the only race I did Olympic distance as a pro. And then I just did the long course and I just felt like, you know, it wasn't that speed on the swim that, and then I was able to take more time to catch up on the longer bike and the run. So, yeah, it was just like, I did one race as a pro on the Olympic distance. And since then it was been halves, And then this in the past year, it's been fulls.
2: And since you jumped into those halves in 2014, you had really great success right off the bat with podiums in Augusta, Boise, and Austin that year. But then towards the end of the year, you had some hip pain that was diagnosed as a labral tear, and you ultimately decided to repair that with surgery. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to have to decide about pursuing that surgery and how you handled such a big setback just so early in your career as you were getting up and racing and then had those great results. And, you know, anything to mental tips or tricks for our listeners who might be struggling getting back with an injury themselves?
3: Well, I think the the it was easier to make that decision to get the surgery because I had battled the hip pain for probably six to eight months, you know, with PT and massage and all those things, and it wasn't helping. So it was kind of like, what was I at the time, like 42 or something? And it was like, okay, I'm going to get the surgery. And then if I want to come back, I come back. You know, I'm not going to go another year trying to see what happens with my hip and do it in pain. And then it's not very fun. Um, Because part of it is like, you know, as long as I'm enjoying it, I'll keep doing it and my body agrees. But if it's not, if it's painful, then it becomes not fun. And then you're just like, well, why am I doing this? So I got the surgery and, you know, of course I went back and forth. Like, do I really want to come back? But I think sitting on my butt for two weeks was like, yeah, why not? You know what I mean? What do I have to lose to to come back? So I think if people are like, Oh, this injury is like the worst thing ever. And how am I going to ever come back? I think it's just like kind of one day at a time. You know, if you're missing it, you do it for the love of the sport um, more than anything. And more the idea of like, you know, I, build back my strength and just give it another shot. You have nothing to lose just to try again. So that's what I did. And yeah, it certainly
1: worked for you. And I do want to add a fun fact for our listeners because that race in 2014 in Augusta, where you finished second in third place, I think 15 or 18 seconds back was yours truly. <laughs> I was—I uh, remember that race very well, but mostly from a perspective of me being really proud of myself that I kept the gap at that close. But you, um, afterwards, when everyone was telling me they're like, "She's a really good runner. It's okay, you did well."
3: <laughs> I just remember towards the end, like I think my legs were starting to like collapse, Lomi. I'm just like, I gotta hold on to this. And I remember you were closing the gap, and I was running very scared.
1: Well, we missed you in Augusta this year, but, um, yeah, there's another hot one for you where you do very well, but you, you have a degree in dietetics and you have worked as a registered dietitian and we often hear nutrition referred to as the fourth discipline of triathlon. So can you share any like do's and don'ts of what you see triathletes doing in regards to
3: race day and everyday nutrition? You know, I'm very much of like a moderation sort of like on on the day-to-day stuff I'm not like oh you got to eat a lot of this or you have to eat a lot of this or you can't eat cake you can't eat things I'm like you know what it's moderation especially in this longer distance stuff it's like I tell people more is better than less and I feel like that's what I've learned over the years like as a runner you know being more body conscious and thinking, oh, you know, I need to lean up and eating not as much. And then you compete and then you just wonder, why am I not doing well? And even, you know, when I meet with athletes, I do, I work with the student athletes at the U here at Montana. And that's kind of what I see the most is like not getting enough, you know, and just making sure you have enough fuel to do your daily activities and to train and recover and train again and recover. So yeah, that's probably what I feel like the most is like getting enough calories and you know the balancing the protein and the carbohydrates and the fat is always you know it's a little tricky but I think if you're doing your you know your fruits and your vegetables and your carbs and your protein at pretty much every meal I think you get a pretty good balance Um, when it comes to racing I think you know don't try anything new race day that was a big thing in Taiwan there you know it wasn't Gatorade it was some sort of other endurance drink that didn't taste very well and at least not for me so it was like okay I'm just going to use my nutrition I had my bottle and and then just took water or coke on the run and i think that's a big thing just the gastro on a run can be pretty challenging and i've fought through it too so yeah i think it's just trying to figure out what you can have the days prior to your race too i just generally keep it pretty basic with not a whole heck of a lot of fruits and vegetables i agree
2: not trying anything new and keeping it basic in the days leading up is like it's so key i think it's tempting to do otherwise a lot but that's where, that's where mistakes happen. And Sue, thanks so much for joining us today. And I do want to ask just now that, are you going to sit back and enjoy the wind for a little bit and let that sink in or where can we find you next? And also where can our listeners follow you online?
3: Um, I am just going to, yeah, take some downtime, kind of slowly get back into it ride outside while it's nice. And then, um, maybe, you know, focus a little more on biking or swimming and running for a little while once the cold sets in. Um, but yeah, no set plans on any races at this point. Yeah. And just for me, I'm just on Instagram, Sue Hughes, Facebook, Suzanne Hughes, but yeah, uh, I'm really thankful. Thank you very much for having me on your talk and enjoy playing that trip to
1: Kona. You have a, you have some like time to plan. That's very nice. You can like get everything all scheduled. Will you, we, will the kids get to come watch in Kona?
3: Yes. That was a big thing. When we, when we go away on this trip, we're like, well, we're going to try and get to Kona. And the first thing, you know, when we called them, we're going to Kona. Yay! So yes, (laughs) it'll be a long day for them, but yeah, it'll be a fun family trip. I know. And that still is kind of all sinking in that. I mean, oh my gosh, like it's in a year from now and we can plan it. So it'll be a lot easier.
2: It's exciting. That's awesome. Maybe they can join you on your iron women interview while you're in Kona. So they can start planning for that too. (laughs) Well, thanks
1: again, Sue, and we'll be following you and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. So Alyssa, it's really interesting now with this, you know, we use this... the term supermom quite a bit. When we're talking about Miranda Carfrey, Radka, Vadaskova, Kalfeld. these new moms who are coming back after having a child and racing super well. And then we have people like Sue Hughes who had their children well before their triathlon career and are kind of a different generation of Supermom, right? Sue's oldest son is 11 years old. And so he's able to really watch his mom race. And it's kind of cool. I think we have to honor the, you know, the, The other generation of super moms, as much as we do the Rinnies and the Caroline Steffens and, you know, all these new moms who are coming back to racing. Totally. I think it's
2: super inspiring and it's really fun to watch and like learn all of these stories. And I think kind of similarly, I talked to several women in Kona who were you know in the 35 39 the 40 44 age groups and to be quite honest they'd be competitive at the pro level if they wanted to take their pro card and step up to that level and I think that sue is just another example that it's never too late to do it and you can still be super competitive if you do it you know in your late 30s and early 40s and we would love it if you you did do that and we have more pro women racing of all ages.
1: Yes, and lots of uh hope for you and me as uh we enter our mid-thirties here and into our late 30s. I'm like, oh man, maybe my best days are still ahead of me. The best is yet to come for sure, Haley. I'm I'm pretty confident about that. (laughs) Right on. And just a reminder for our listeners, F2C Nutrition, our sponsor, is still running that October special on endurance five to one. And you can use the code ironwomen at F2cnutrition.com to get a great discount. All right, Haley, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa.
0: This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am. Get ready for the chorus. I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a Live Feisty Media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Hailey Chura. And our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Thanks again to our sponsors, Crave Jerky, FGC Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Fest Queen.